Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail... If you've just tuned in to uh, the radio, we currently have the RNZ team across this developing story out of Christchurch where armed police have been deployed after reports of shots being fired at a mosque near Hagley Park in Christchurch. When you look at the likes of Facebook, we are talking about literally billions of people online. We're talking about literally even more billions of bits of content that go up there. There is a practical problem here that I don't know the answer to for a start, of how amongst that sea of content, there is always going to be, unfortunately, harmful, horrible things. A new piece of legislation is about to be introduced which would give the government the ability to decide what you can and can't view on the internet. It's censorship, no two ways about it. But how else can we tame the wild west of the World Wide Web? So when it comes to the internet, there are rules. Not many rules, mind you, but there are some. Here's newsroom.co.nz political reporter Mark Dolder. The government is operating on a censorship system that was designed in the 1990s. The act uh, is called the Films, Videos and Publications Classification Act. So it doesn't really have any idea about the possibility of the internet, live streams, that sort of thing. So what happens is if a publication, which can be sort of just about any sort of document, is, is brought to the attention of the chief censor, he'll take a look at it, he'll determine if it's objectionable. If he rules that it's objectionable, you're not allowed to view it, you're not allowed to distribute it, and doing those sorts of things becomes a crime. The issue is that the government doesn't have jurisdiction over the internet to be able to sort of enforce these rules on websites that exist overseas or sometimes even in New Zealand. So if you do this and you upload this video that the chief censor has looked at and taken uh, a while to think about it and decided that it's objectionable, then all that the government can do is, is email you nicely and ask you to take it down. This is essentially what happened in the aftermath of the March 15 mosque attacks. Many websites posted and reposted this this live stream, and New Zealand police were put in the position of having to nicely ask these websites to take them down. And Department of Internal Affairs officials, who generally operate this sort of internet regulation territory, they were in the position of having to write to the ISPs and saying, hi, we found these links on these websites, they're not taking them down, would you be able to block them? Or at least it would be nice if they were blocked because the government didn't have the power to actually ask them to block them or to order them to block those websites. And it's a cumbersome way to go about things. The Films, Videos and Publications Classification Act does everything in reverse to the way the internet works. Essentially, it decides whether something should be released in New Zealand. And it's a linear process. A movie gets made, the censor checks it out before it goes into the cinema or the DVD store, so it's nice and smooth. In the 90s, this was a sensible way of doing things. If some horrifying snuff film comes out, the censor can take a look, slap an objectionable sticker on it, and nobody can watch it. Case closed. The problem is, nobody asked permission to publish anything on the internet. The law just isn't quite fit for purpose, and there's changes that we'll we'll talk about in a moment that are are, um, being made to it. But even these don't overhaul, I think, the very basic fundamentals of the system, which still is oriented towards an expectation that the chief censor and his office get to look at everything before it's published and get to decide whether it's objectionable or whether it gets a rating, R18 or, or what have you. And that's just not how the world works anymore. The Privacy Commissioner says Facebook violated New Zealand law by failing to stop accused gunmen from live-streaming his mass murder on Friday. 
John Edwards says he has raised questions about live streaming before with Facebook, given its enormous potential for harm. Can I say, Kim, it's a problem entirely of Facebook's own making. They've enabled a service that had this uh, completely predictable risk associated with it. Uh, They've given us assurances that there are mechanisms to uh, address that risk, and those have failed. Uh, I mean, they have uh, artificial intelligence. They invest enormously in creation, creating algorithms uh, to sell us things, they should have caught this before they um, had to be. It had to be drawn to their attention by police. So, in this new world, who actually decides whether online content is objectionable? How do you go about removing it, and what sort of stuff gets blocked? At the moment, there is, to my knowledge, nothing that's totally blocked in New Zealand. There is a uh, filter that the government has set up a a while ago, about a decade ago, for child sexual exploitation material, which is sometimes known as child pornography. And that filter is something that ISPs, the Internet Service Providers, can opt into. It's got a list of URLs and and websites where this content is being hosted. And if the ISP wants to, they can opt in, and that just means that they'll be provided with that list to block so no one who uses their services can access it. But it is a voluntary system. So it's thought that about 85% of broadband traffic goes through ISPs that are participating in the system, but there are some ISPs who have chosen not to participate in it. Um, for for varying reasons. What what might some of those reasons kind of be? I think my best guess at that sort of reason, I wouldn't want to put words in their mouths, but uh, would be something along the lines of uh, sort of free speech or free expression. You know, if customers want to look at it, they should be able to do so while knowing that it's it's a violation of the law because there are other ways you can violate the law without uh, the government stopping you. You know, you can illegally stream a film at the moment and there's nothing to stop you really from doing that. Uh, so why not this, I guess, would be part of the logic. All right, so the internet is a bit of a wild west. We all get that. And globally, nobody stepped up to be the sheriff. But at the beginning, we mentioned a new piece of legislation aimed at mitigating some of that risk. It involves a bunch of changes and new powers, beginning with the role of the chief censor. It allows the chief censor to make interim rulings. So he can take a look at something and decide, this is likely to be objectionable. I don't have the time, you know, it's a sort of crisis moment. I don't have the time to go through the full review right now, but I'm going to say it's objectionable. It'll be treated as objectionable for now. And then within a certain amount of time, I have to take a real look at it and and make sure that that is actually the case. So after the March 15 terror attack, uh, we saw this video going out and this manifesto going out, but it took about two or three days for the chief censor to officially rule the video Uh, objectionable, and it took another few days after that for him to rule the manifesto objectionable. And that's because he has a number of processes and and checks and balances to go through internally to decide whether something's objectionable, which is good from a democracy perspective. You don't want him just to rule things objectionable with a a sort of flick of the pen. Mm. But it is difficult in a situation like March 15, where uh, that red tape got in the way of of stopping people from, you know, distributing the video. so that's one of the sort of small differences. Uh, the government will n- then be able to um, classify live stream documents as well as objectionable. It's unclear at the moment whether the government could already do that, but now they've just officially put in this measure that says, yes, among the various definitions of a publication, a live stream is one of them. So uh, objectionable live streaming is just as illegal as distributing a film that you took uh, two days prior and, and okay. is, is also objectionable. One of the biggest moves here is around something called internet filtering. The big two things that are are here are internet filters and and takedown notices, and I think those have sort of been the things that have been focused on in the headlines. 
On the internet filters side of things, uh, this gives the Department of Internal Affairs the regulatory power to create internet filters like the one that we just discussed that already exists. Um, however, there's not a lot of uh, safeguards in, in the bill in terms of the checks and balances and, and sort of that bureaucratic red tape I was referring to earlier. At the moment, it's, it's pretty open in terms of what they can choose to create a filter for as long as it's something that the chief censor has ruled objectionable. Uh, and it also indicates that these filters could be mandatory, so they could force ISPs to participate unlike the voluntary one that we're currently operating. Can you give an example of how how this might play out? Um, say a really bad terrorist attack were to happen overseas and it's live-streamed all over Facebook as the March 15 one here was. Under this proposed legislation, how would that situation be dealt with effectively under this? So assuming the goal would be to create a filter to stop people from seeing that content... The filter would have to be set up ahead of time in, in, in all likelihood. So the government is currently looking at, in addition to this legislation, a sort of regulatory move towards creating a filter once the legislation is in place for uh, what they call violent uh, uh, terrorist and violent extremist content. Um, so that is, is a fairly wide definition, but it's also specific enough. The prime minister said to me the other day um, that, you know, this is – it's something that everyone can agree on, whether you're Facebook or Twitter or a government of a country. Everyone can agree, well, we don't want terrorist and violent extremist content on our uh, platform. The filter would deal with that content, and to what extent things would be censored is would be up to first whether it's objectionable, so the chief censor, and then whether DIA officials decided that they wanted that thing to be in the Internet filter. But let's say the government has goes ahead in the next year or so, the legislation passes, they set up this filter, it's sort of sitting there, it's got a few things on it, probably links to the March 15 video and so on that are blocked. Then this terrorist attack happens overseas. As soon as that footage starts coming into the country, the chief censor can take a look at it now and he'll be able to say, this is likely to be objectionable or decide, I'm not sure yet and I'll have to take the longer look. But if he, he does make that sort of interim decision, then it becomes much easier. He informs, he, he announces it and informs the government of his decision. And then Department of Internal Affairs officials can take a look at it and say, well, is this serious enough for us to want to censor it? Or is it, uh, even though it's objectionable, we won't add it to the filter because we're not fil filtering everything that is objectionable. Uh, and that's the decision that they would make. But theoretically, they could choose, yes, this is real bad. We're going to put it on behind the filter for now. And then when you would try to access that, uh, either you would just not be able to or would redirect you to a web page uh, that might give you resources for, uh, for example, the existing filter for child sexual exploitation material, redirects people to resources for how they can get help uh, and mental help and so on. Um, so you might find a web page like that instead of the, the link that you clicked on. Mm. In terms of how that affects you as a person, just a regular person who's browsing the Internet on their phone, you're not generally going to be going to the sorts of websites where this content might be hosted. Um, but what it does do is if it is spreading very rapidly on a mainstream site like Facebook or Twitter, they're able to block that. Or you may see a link on, the, on Twitter or Facebook that says, oh, my goodness, this is so horrible, or I, you know, I can't believe this, click here to watch it. And you don't know exactly what you're clicking on, but everyone clicks on things sometimes without knowing what it is. <laughs> uh, and you do, and, and this filter would stop you from seeing that accidentally. Um, which is, my understanding, is an experience that many people had on March 15, was not just viewing it on mainstream 
uh, social media platforms, but being linked out to these other websites without knowing that that's what they were clicking on, without knowing that that's what they were going to see as soon as they, they clicked on it. In the case of the Christchurch shootings, Facebook carried the live stream of the atrocity for 17 minutes. The video is still available on various platforms. There's one word which has popped up a lot in this piece, objectionable. So it might be useful to explain what that actually means. Here's the chief censor, David Shanks. Objectionable under, under our legislation essentially means illegal material, illegal publications. Um, and what falls into that category includes material like child sexual abuse material that, that, that people would, uh, would be familiar with in terms of reports of um, arrests and uh, enforcement activity. But beyond that, there is also other material that could be characterised as extreme or extremely dangerous. And terrorist, violent extremist promotional material can fall into that category, as we saw following March 15. So essentially, once the chief censor deems something objectionable, DIA has the power to immediately stop anyone in New Zealand from viewing it. No ifs, no buts. Now, you'd be forgiven for hearing that and thinking, hey, that's not such a bad idea. Would have been handy in the hours following March 15, that's for sure. But it's lots of power and lots of responsibility, and it has serious potential for abuse. Thomas Beagle is the chair of the New Zealand Centre of Civil Liberties. You look around the world at the moment and you think, you know, we see various countries who we're allied with slipping closer and closer towards fascism, really. Um, you know, strong government control. Um, they're admiring what they, what, what's been happening in China with their... Um, close off internet so, and it's like a first step towards that and I don't think now is the right time to give our government more control over what we see on the, the internet I think that when we talk about civil uh, liberties and laws which might infringe on them one of the first things we ask is that will this law be effective or what it's trying, trying to do because if it's not effective you've got to say well why are we bothering to have all these limitations on our freedoms if the law won't actually achieve what we want and I think this law is not going to achieve what we want and you talk about the threats and the wild internet. And so bear in mind, at the moment, accessing this material is already illegal in New Zealand under the normal censorship laws. And it's not actually, I don't think that's the big problem we've got on the internet at the moment, to my mind. To my mind, the big problem we've got on the internet is much more to do with what people are doing in chat rooms, what people are doing in um, radicalisation of each other on the internet, um, and how, and particularly what the, one of the biggest threats is what we're seeing is what we're seeing is these little sort of bubbles of thought coming up where people participate in you know, closed, closed-minded communities where they sort of enter practically an alternate reality about how the world works and what that's good doing in fact. Those are the threats that are concerning me at, me at the moment. It's nothing to do with I don't know, someone accessing something objectionable on, on the internet. Why do we have any kind of censorship? Like, is there any merit to any censorship in, in your eyes? I'm not completely against censorship. I actually quite like the test in our um, law, which at least says it's got to be injurious to public good. And you can argue what that might mean and how that might mean. But most people are accepting of a certain amount of censorship. And I think I think that's a reasonable decision to take in a, in a democratic society. The problem is you've got to be worried about what are the measures we're going to take to enact that censorship. And I don't think that at the moment, I look at what's happening in New Zealand, and I don't think that the access to most of the stuff covered on is objectionable um, under the films, videos and publications law. I don't see it as a big, a big problem here at the moment. A lot of people who watched the Christchurch gunman's video when it popped up on their feed would probably disagree with that. Um, what, what would you say to them? Well, 
that was, I mean, that's, that's actually one of, I mean, that was objection, the square to objection was fairly fast. And that's the problem, though, of course, is that, you know, our ISPs moved to stop it, which is a bit sort of making up their own law on the spot, shall we say. Um, and at the same time, our censor pretty quickly raised it and signed it as objectionable. But at the same time, people could still get it. Now, it's actually illegal to access it in New Zealand now. But that doesn't mean that anyone who wants it can't go and go and get it. And I don't see what the New Zealand government can really do about that in any meaningful way. So is your, is your standpoint pretty much the idea that doing something that is really imperfect, really imperfect and has clear holes in it, is actually net worse than how things are at the moment? Yes, that would be correct. And the censor, David Shanks, says that is a fair point. Is the perfect the enemy of the good in this space? Um, I think it's it's quite clear to anyone with any understanding of how these things work that no um, regulatory response is going to be perfect. No no filter, no regulatory response, no no legislation that we can pass in this country is going to mean that uh, there is absolutely no chance that New Zealand uh, could access uh, this sort of material or objectionable material on the internet. But that, then the question comes, well, but does that mean we just give up and do nothing? Or does it mean, well, actually, we can think through practically steps that can make things better, if not perfect? And I think that's, that's the space that we're in. But Thomas Beagle has another big ethical question. Who watches the watchmen? Well, all governments are interested in suppressing stuff which is sensitive to them. And that can, might be, for example, like protests or it might be police, police violence, for example. And suddenly they're saying, I mean, I'm sure there's people over in the States right now saying that this, you know, that sharing videos of police being violent is actually, you know, terrorist activity, and therefore we should go after these people and stop them and so on. We've already had, you know, some senator asking for, you know, the military to be out of the streets and so on. And, you know, you say, well, how that's actually an important part of what's happening in that country. It's, you know, they're having, you know, democratic um, protest, uh, and, and the whole process is going on. We can't just decide to... to um, to suppress that. You can make a claim that climate, deni- climate change denial is injurious to public good. You can make a claim that anti-vaccination is injurious to public good. And if you're on the other side, you can make the claim the op- exactly op- opposite way, that you know, the people talking about climate change are actually hurting, hurting the world, hurting the public. Um, and so there is a work on these problems with the sort of the subjective nature and, and someone coming in and extending our censorship re- regime cover more material is always a concern for where it, where it, where it might go. Particularly in a time, I mean, at the moment we think we're seeing we're seeing more people arguing about the nature of what's really happening in the world. I think than we have in the past. The last thing anyone wants out of this sort of process is to have powers and levers in place that could uh, take us closer to a place like China or North Korea in terms of the, the power of the state to employ levers for its own ends, for its own, you know, um, in order to protect itself. That's what you see in China, is, is censorship and um, blocks and filters, which are all about actually protecting the interests of the state, not the citizenry. So I think what we have an opportunity here, though, with, with lessons of kind of recent events is to go, look, that, that's a risk, and we need to be absolutely mindful of that and put in place you know, strong safeguards to prevent that from happening. But that doesn't mean we don't think about what we can do better 
to protect our citizenry from material that actually could be harmful or that could subject or that could make them subject to to you know criminal prosecution if they're if they're accessing it potentially without being aware of that. The proposed bill was meant to be introduced in March, but it's been delayed by COVID-19. It'll go through all the usual legislative processes, including public consultation, so if you're interested, keep an eye out and have your say. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poek and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Mark Balder, Thomas Beagle and David Shanks. Kaki kite